All right, everybody, let's face it. Buying media, buying traffic is hard. Getting cold traffic to convert is hard. So today I am interviewing a complete legend in this space. His name is Sean Sheik. He's the CEO of Jump450, one of the top media buying and customer acquisition agencies in the country. He has personally bought tens of millions of dollars worth of traffic on all the major platforms and has helped scaled companies to levels that no one thought was possible. Him and his team have been listed in Forbes 30 under 30, and he is a complete dominating force when it comes to buying media and converting that traffic into customers. If you want to learn how to be a better media buyer, then grab a pen and paper, your favorite drink, sit back, and enjoy this episode. everybody. This is really exciting. I have with me Sean Sheik, the CEO and co-founder of Jump450 with us today. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. How are you doing? I am doing great, man. I am so honored that uh, you can make this happen. You have an incredible story, and um, I am so excited for everybody who's listening today to hear it and for you to drop some bombs because I know that you've got some really good stuff that you can bring. Um, I know that uh, some people out there are know who you are because they're, they could be your client, um, and I know that you guys are doing some amazing things. But for everybody who doesn't, can you kind of go into your background, Sean, and introduce yourself and tell people about who you are? Yeah, Sure. So um, I'm Sean Sheik, CEO and co-founder of Jump450 Media, a digital marketing agency based out of New York. Um, We specialize in customer acquisition across the digital ecosystem. Um, I got my start in the digital marketing industry about seven and a half years ago. I originally started as a content writer, was writing on Fiverr.com back in my college days, and um, as I was writing articles, I, I noticed that there was a large demand for SEO optimized articles and internet marketing based articles. Um, so, you know, naturally, as I as I started fulfilling those requests, um, it led me down this path of digital marketing, internet marketing, and paid acquisition. And so, the summer between you know the sophomore year and co- uh, junior years of college. Um, were you know a time where I really spent uh, a lot of my efforts really learning about the space and interacting with other members of the community. Uh, and so, as I entered into junior year of college, I started running Facebook ads and was uh, profitable with the first campaign I ever ran, which was uh, with this company called Stylement, uh, which was a fashion lead gen offer. Um, and was quickly able to scale from you know zero to fifty dollars a day in in profit to five hundred all the way up to about five thousand dollars a day in profit um, at about the one or two month mark. Um, so wow. that's kind of how I got my start originally. How um, old were you when that happened, Sean? I was twenty years old. <laughs> that's yeah. so incredible. That is so incredible. 20 years old and you're running up a, a campaign to $5,000 a day. Yeah, it was a it was a surreal time for me because I had never experienced anything like that before. And uh, the, the, the first big check that I deposited into my college campus, um, it was it was just insane to see, 
the reactions that I was getting from the different bank tellers <laughs> because they had never seen anything <laughs> like that either. So it yeah. was a fun time for sure. And as a 20-year-old, I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, I mean, it's a, for a lot of people listening, they're like, wait, I want to scale my business to $5,000 a day in sales. Um, so for a 20-year-old, that must have been especially wild and exciting. Yeah, and, and it, was definitely, it was definitely interesting for me because I didn't even really – I knew that I was making a decent amount of money, but I kind of just put my head down and was really focused in on – um, continuing to find innovations, continuing to work with more businesses, um, and really just honing my skill sets. Um, so while the money was great, I think I got a lot of fulfillment out of you know just being able to transform the businesses I was working with and making a, a large impact in the industry. And so how big was that particular company that you did that with revenue-wise, would you say, at the time? So. So I'm not entirely sure what amount of revenue they were generating that year, but they were owned by a subsidiary, uh, sorry, a parent company called Jewelment. Um, And they were, if I were to guess, I'm, you know, I think they were probably generating somewhere between, um, you know, 10 to $20 million in annual revenue. And so fast forward to today, Jump 450 and your team there is dealing with, I know one of your clients is a $1.5 billion a year uh, client, that that's their revenue number. Um, I mean, talk about accelerated digital marketing skill sets as well as um, uh, growth for you personally and for your business. Um, so would you care to talk about who some of your clients are and kind of what you're doing from a customer acquisition for them? Um, and what you've learned along the way going from, you know, uh, an individual marketer, digital marketer, making money on your own to growing this team and to dealing with these billion dollar and fortune 500 companies. And I mean, your client roster and the, and the work that you guys do is, is from my perspective as another agency owner, it's awe inspiring. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Um, what you've done for those businesses, not, not just your business, like getting those clients. Right. And like, uh, but I know, you know, specifically cause you and I are friends and we talk, but like the, the sheer results that you've generated for them has been incredible. Can you talk about that a little bit and open up? Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks. I really appreciate that. It's, you know, it's definitely been a heck of a journey for us and, you know, we're continuing to keep on building. So it's, it's amazing to see, you know, the reactions that we get from other people in the industry and definitely from friends like yourself as well. So I, I, I truly appreciate that. Um, in terms of, you know, who we have on the client roster, I would say we're sector agnostic, um, but we've really been able to carve out a niche in the financial industry. Um, so a lot of our clients are in you know, the financial publishing sector and in mobile fintech. Um, I would say probably about 40% of our roster um, you know, is comprised of those types of clients. Mm-hmm. And so we found that our ability, our, you know, our ability to look at things from a data-driven lens and you know, perpetually optimize campaigns and, you know, develop creatives that can have a large impact has been really conducive for the financial industry, um, just because they are so data driven as well. And because they focus on, you know, things like lifetime value and gross profitability. Um, so it's, it's been a natural fit for us. Um, in, in, in terms of clients, um, you know, Motley Fool is, you know, one of the big ones that we work with. Um, we work with IACs, you know, suite of brands like Daily Burn, 
Um, we work with, you know, the Money Lines of the World, which is a mobile challenger bank. Um, so, so those are those are just a few of the clients um, that we're that we're working with right now. Yeah, that's incredible. And the stuff that they're that you're doing with them um, is also pretty spectacular. So, people who are listening right now, whether you are you know launching your startup or you've got a small business that you're looking to scale, or you have a really really large team of media buyers, Sean and his team, when it comes to customer acquisition, um, they I think you guys your ads. Will what was it like you guys had over a billion impressions last year just to just to talk about the sheer volume of media and traffic that you guys are generating um was that right did i see that right for last year yeah we had over 8 billion impressions eight last billion, year 8 billion <laughs> yeah <laughs> 8 billion that's incredible so you had 8 billion impressions with the ads that you guys are served and um the number of customers that you're driving as well at a profit uh, for these businesses that you're serving is pretty incredible what media channels does jump 450 um, specialize in, and then for you specifically as a digital marketer, what were the ones that um, you found the most success with? Yeah, sure. So we originally started off as Facebook marketers. Facebook was kind of our bread and butter initially, um, just because they were pretty advanced in how the they could find customers. You know, regardless of whether you're in you know um, a, a niche that was in betting or in finance or in, you know, telemedicine. Um, Facebook has, you know, a really strong algorithm that can find customers much better than any other platforms out there. Um, so we originally kind of sharpened our teeth with Facebook media buying, um, but we slowly realized that we couldn't become, you know, reliant on Facebook just because there was, you know, increased competition, you know, over 7 million advertisers on Facebook. So if, you know, it costs you, $20 to acquire a customer last year, it'll cost you $30 this year with every other variable kind of held equal. Um, so we quickly realized that, um, you know, a few years ago and really started to master all the other channels as well. So namely Google, um, you know, we, we, we specialize in, you know, Google search, uh, display and YouTube media buying. Um, that's, that's one of the channels that we've been able to expand into and really replicate the same success that we originally saw on Facebook. So I would say, um, you know, Google as a collective channel is close to eclipsing Facebook right now in terms of media spend for us. Um, and then we also added uh, a couple of native channels into the mix as well. So Yahoo Gemini is a big one. I've actually been advertising on Yahoo Gemini for quite a while. Uh, I was one of the first beta advertisers on the platform back in 20, uh, 2013. When they had uh, five cent clicks uh, for uh, for a month, um, I didn't really take full advantage of it because I was in college. <laughs> um, but really, have you know uh, a vast amount of experience with that platform. Um, and then we manage you know the outbrains of the world, the taboos of the world as well. Um, so that, yeah. the, the native channels kind of kind of come in third. That's pretty phenomenal. That that Google is now as far as an overall channel and spend perspective is rivaling Facebook because at one time your group, your team specifically was the number one buyer, media buyer for on Facebook uh, in a particular year. Uh, just to go to the volume and how well you know that platform and the type of power that you had over that platform uh, for an entire year, you completely dominated that that platform, which is uh, which is just absolutely incredible. I can I can honestly say you're the only person that I know that's ever been able to do that. 
Yeah, and, 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 and that was an interesting time for us. And we really liked what we were doing on the Facebook platform, but also realized that it posed certain systemic business risks to us as well. Um, insofar as, you know, Facebook potentially, you know, shutting, shutting you down without any reason or um, just increasing costs or competition. So we knew we had to expand into other channels just to kind of hedge our bets and to also just, you know, expand the, you know, pie of users that we were going after. So Google was kind of the next natural fit for us to expand into. Absolutely. And it's it's exciting to hear that that's also rivaling what you guys are doing on the Facebook end because I know it's um, next level. So this show is all about actionable items that people can take away and start to use in their own campaigns, either built from the mistakes that we have, you know, that we've all done as we, in our careers. Um, I, I tell people all the time when they ask me what marketing is like, it's a lot of experimenting. It's a lot of failing um, to get to those huge, massive wins that, you know, you and I have had. Um, in your career and being the number one Facebook media buyer, uh, being one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, com customer acquisition specialists in our niche, uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made and, and the lessons that you've learned from those mistakes? Yeah, so I think we've made a bunch of different mistakes, both at a business level and at a marketing, marketing level as well. Um, so kind of starting off on the business level first, I think, um, you know, as an agency, we didn't define the market that we were operating, um, too well early on. So we would basically try to capitalize on every opportunity that came across our desk and didn't, didn't really filter for how well we thought that opportunity would sort of advance in time. Um, I think, you know, that's much better now and we have a pretty selective filtering mechanism to, determine, you know, which opportunities we think would be best fit for our company. Um, but, you know, previously we didn't really have that. Um, I think some of the other mistakes we made were, um, you know, early on we, you know, we hired the wrong people, hired great people with, you know, tactile, tactical ability, but, you know, no client communication experience, which kind of posed a risk for our agency business. Um, and that was, that was definitely an issue that we had to, had to overcome. Sure. Um, in, term, in terms of marketing, I would say we didn't unify all of our measurement solutions early on either. Um, and so we were kind of treating the different channels in a very fragmented way. Um, we've since been able to solve for that by leveraging a business intelligence stack um, called Domo, which basically aggregates all of our channel data from Facebook to Google to native and then, you know, superimposes that on top of, you know, client, customer, and CRM data. And the result of that is that we can optimize for high-value events or high-value metrics such as gross profitability or LTV over time. So that's, that's definitely been uh, a game-changer for us, and I wish we had done that uh, a couple of years ago because it's made all the difference in the world for us. So that's – I love hearing you talk because – um, everybody who's listening to this, when they're going out to buy their campaign, I don't think that so, I mean, the differences between millionaire marketers and, and people who, who are trying to grow and scale their businesses, um, I, I can hear it in the way that you're talking. I can hear it in the way that you're thinking about things because so commonly I see other digital marketers have no idea 
what metrics they should be hitting or they should not be hitting, what's good or what's bad. And and they're more looking at one, usually just one set of metrics. Oh, I, I, and it's sales, right? Or, or leads, how many leads did I get? How many sales did I get? Um, and they're not looking at what I call EFIs, early funnel indicators that can help us decide whether or not a campaign is, is worth scaling, whether a campaign should be shut off, whether we need to change something, um, or we need to let it go a little longer to find out more information from it. And so from your biggest mistake of not having the right technology stack in place to do these deep level analytics um, and to learn from them is huge for everyone who's listening here because that's exactly what uh, big, huge marketers like Sean do every single day. And he didn't have it right. And he's invested into getting that right. And so Domo is an amazing platform. Um, I believe it's just domo.com is where people can go and check that, that out. Um, so that's really, really good insight. When you, when it does come to actually a campaign, a specific campaign for you, um, and you're going to launch it, maybe it's, um, a, a new product or service for one of your existing clients, um, can you walk me through kind of like mentally, what do you do? Uh, maybe some of the tangible things that you guys are doing when you're going to launch a new campaign. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think there are three pillars that underlie our, you know, campaign success, irrespective of what platform those campaigns are placed on. Um, and the first pillar is what we like to call algorithmic scaling, uh, which I'll discuss in a second. Um, the second is rapid creative testing, and the third is business intelligence. Um, so the first step that we take before we launch a campaign is to really understand what platforms we're advertising in, right? So, you know, when you're advertising on Facebook, the algorithm delivers and traffics in a way that's a lot different to what Google delivers across, you know, GDN or, or search or YouTube. And each of those individual channels have their own sort of idiosyncrasies as well. So our team spends a considerable amount of time just you know, reverse engineering the ad auctions across these different platforms to understand how to best position campaigns. And so on Facebook nowadays, we're finding that you know, um, a, lot of, a lot of marketers are going niche and kind of just expanding that way. Uh, but the real key is being, uh, being able to train the pixel in a way that it gives you an advantage over time, right? So... We basically start niche, right, and, and train the pixel if it's a, if it's a new account. Um, and once we have enough learnings, we're then able to shift our targeting to go more broad. And what that does on the Facebook platform is it gleans insights from those niche targets, combines them together, and then allows you to find you know, new customers in the market that are similar. And we found that this approach works much better than just going, you know, broad at the outset or just going niche completely uh, for the for the cycle of the campaign. Uh, so that's something that we found to to be able to work pretty well. Um, on the rapid creative testing side, we do a lot of research into psychographics, you know, demographics, and um, just consumer sentiment overall in the market to see how different you know customers would react to you know different products and you know what makes them tick and you know what are some of the emotional cues that we can sort of tug at within our ads and so our creative team spends a lot of time doing that analysis before they even write a headline before they even start producing videos or images or any sort of visual assets and so a lot of research happens before they start that production process 
And then they use that research to start producing those different elements. And so we start by testing a few different big angles. Um, and by angles, I mean, you know, sort of high level concepts that would drive a consumer to purchase decisioning. So if you think about any product that you've ever brought um, through, you know, a digital ad or through, through offline advertising or through TV advertising, there's always an underlying concept behind that creative. And so we like to test those concepts at a high level first before drilling deeper into them. And so once we've done that, once, once we've found which, which angles are working, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's some sort of social proofing angle where you need to show testimonials about a specific product in order to, to cultivate interest in the consumer's eyes. Or maybe you need to you know, highlight some sort of benet- uh, benefits or features um, that other customers are seeing as well. Or maybe you need to invoke some sort of emotional story um, about a consumer that's used a product and had a positive experience with it. So we create all these different angles at a high level and then start drilling into the different elements under that creative. So we work on building different headline um, elements, different visual elements from videos to images, and then different description elements um, to pair with those other assets. Um, And the real key is being able to test creative rapidly uh, and being able to test angles rapidly. So once we start launching those creatives, we'll leverage our business intelligence stack to see how each creative is performing at an element level. So if we see that a specific CTA is working best, you know, across the board, we'll start, you know, implementing that more globally and then creating other iterations on top of that. If we see that a specific text element isn't performing, we'll start to prune that off and inform our creative production process over time with that as well. So that's that's one of the, you know, secret ingredients to 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 our client's success and how we manage their campaigns is being able to develop creatives that are resonant, that are impactful, um, and, can, and can continue to drive impact over the long tail, right? Not just over two weeks or over a four-week period. It really has to be with a cadence um, over a long this term is- period. So that's, that's kind of how we look at, look at um, campaign management um, in, in a sort of predictable and, and long-term oriented way. Yeah, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. So let me let me make sure that I got this right. So the first thing that you do is you keep the end in mind. What do I mean by that? So you're asking yourself, what platforms are we going to be advertising or trying to reach? And that is basically based off of the demographic and psychographic information that you're gathering uh, from the client or that you know about the product or service that you're going to be positioning. And what you're doing is when you're going into Facebook or, or YouTube or Google or, or you know, uh, Gemini or whatever you're going to go into, you're thinking, this is so interesting to me, that your first initial instinct is that you're going to go in there and say, what algorithm is this particular system using? Um, this has been actually a trend that I've started to um, notice among the elite media buyers and customer acquisition marketers out there. Um, so many people, and one thing that you didn't mention not once um, until the very, very end was um, is the price. So you said we do reiterations based off of what we're trying to get, you know, what's our CTA, and you'll start to change that. But you didn't ever mention that. 
And most marketers, the first thing that they do is they mention, oh, well, I'm looking for a traffic price, a cost per click, or what, and they start getting right into those right. numbers. And you didn't. You're so and, – and I just want everyone to be paying attention to this, right? Um, uh, you, The analogy I've given a few times on my show has been like if you're trying to be uh, a musician and you're trying to learn how to play the piano or be a singer, um, uh, play the guitar – well, when you start to learn how to play the guitar and you hear a song that has a guitar in it, you're never going to hear music the same way ever again, right? And you're never going to look at a social media platform or, or any type of media uh, uh, platform the same ever again, right, when you use it. And you're thinking about it at such a unique angle. So that was really informative for me. So algorithm, and then you keep the end in mind, training the pixel to dominate, um, getting that pixel to, um, if you can train it right from the very beginning, that pixel will be the competitive advantage for your particular campaign and will ultimately lower your cost per acquisition, lower your overall cost, and drive better results because you, you're thinking about that first, which was, uh, which, was, which was incredible. Second thing that I heard is then you start to get into the psychographic information about the ideal person. And you're using that information to come up with the creative. What are the angles that you're going to go and display from a creative perspective? And I love what you do there as far as getting high level. I had uh, Joe Schrieffer on the show, and I asked him, how does he come up with his big ideas? And his three ingredients were it's got to be emotionally um, uh, invigorating, intellectually stimulating, and new or novel. And so for an angle perspective, that sounds like what you guys are doing as well. Like, am I going to pull an emotional angle? Am I going to pull a, uh, an intellectual angle? Am I going to go new? And so you start with these big kind of concepts and you're going to test them probably all at the same time. And then the pro tip that you added in here was the rapid testing. Um, that pro tip is, is huge. It's what I call it when you're like off the fly, you know, on the fly, excuse me here. You, this is also what we do. That's, it's very, very important to the process. Um, and honestly, it's what separates the big boys from everybody else. And, um, it, it's something I think everybody should really pay attention to. If you're buying media on Facebook or any one of these channels, um, you need to be able to go and whip up new creatives and change things out as quickly as possible. That the speed there is going to get you more data, and that more data is going to paint a clear picture. And that clear picture is the secret to understanding what you should be spending, how you should be spending it, and and, and reaching scale. Um, that's kind of what I heard, <laughs> just to summarize it in my 100%. words. Yeah, yeah, and, ju and just to also add to that, um, kind of looking at you know the the sort of macro con consumer trend that's happening. Um, you know, the average user on social media scrolls through about 300 feet of newsfeed on a daily basis, right? That's, wow. you know, the size of the Statue of Liberty, wow. which, is, which is crazy to me. Um, and so if you think about that, consumers are hit with ads from everywhere, right? They're, they're hit with ads everywhere on social media. They're hit with, you know, tube ads if they're, if they're commuting. They're hit with, you know, out-of-home ads if they're traveling anywhere. Um, they're hit with television ads if they watch TV. And so there are a lot of triggers that are happening and consumers are becoming increasingly more blind to advertising. So in order to stand out, you have to develop creative that is really compelling. So creative, you know, has to not only highlight the utility of the, of the product, you know, service or, or brand that you're featuring, 
but it also has the valence emotion within that creative as well. And that's kind of where we operate, right? By, by melding emotion um, and utility together, we're able to develop creative that has a massive impact um, and really stand out from the rest of the advertising that's happening. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Alan Gannett, um, but he, he wrote this book called The Creative Curve last year, which I absolutely love. And he explains a very interesting concept that I fully agree with, right? And it basically talks about things, how things sort of catch traction within the market, right? Whether it's a product, whether it's a brand, whether it's a song by an artist, pretty much anything that sort of gets massive appeal. Um, And it all boils down to what he calls the creative curve. And so he basically says that creativity is the blend of the familiar and the novel, right? Familiar enough to be approachable, yet novel enough to stand out and be unique. And so Mm. creative, I agree, has to be right in the middle of that, right? It can't be too familiar because then it doesn't stand out at all, right? And you're sort of, um, you know, laced within all the other advertising consumers are seeing. Um, And then it it can't be too novel because consumers can't tie that back together with what they have currently experienced, right? right? Um, so, so if the iPhone was launched back in 1999, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a hit as it has been, um, because it was launched in 2008 and because it was an iteration off of what consumers had already seen. So when people think about creative and they think, Hey, I'm just going to create the most radical idea or the most innovative idea. That's not necessarily the right approach, right? You want to think about culture trends. You want to think about consumers and how they consume different content. And so you have to understand the dynamics between familiarity and novelty and create something that's right in the middle because that will have the largest impact. I love that. Wow. Well said. And I'm definitely going to go check that out. So what was the name of the book and the author again? So the book is called The Creative Curve um, and the author is Alan Gannett. And spell Gannett for me. G-A-N-N-E-T-T. Great. I don't get it. Great. Okay. That was, that was awesome. And I absolutely resonate with that. And I feel like if you're, if you, for a practicality purposes, like, again, I'll always like to bring things back to a practicality purposes for people who are listening to this. So your ideas that you have from a creative basis are going to fall on the spectrum there of the creative curve, right? You have certain things that um, will look like noise because it's on the too, too much on the familiar side. I've seen this before. I don't see any different differences here. There's not like, okay, so what? And it's bland and it's blah. And the value proposition isn't being um, articulated clearly or fast enough. And that, that stat about 300 feet worth of, you know, scrolling a day is incredible uh, because it just shows the importance of making sure that you're not too far on that side uh, of familiarity. And then there's, everyone likes novel and everyone likes things that are new and exciting, but if it's too out there or too, too radical, then there isn't, you start to get into the doubt into the, that's impossible to, I don't understand that. And it gets people thinking. Um, and we don't want people thinking, we want them feeling as marketers, right? The second we get people to 100%. start thinking, <laughs> we're in trouble because they're trying to make a choice. They're like in debating and that's work and people don't want to do work. They want to just feel and buy and then they rationalize later. And so um, I love that. That was really well said and I definitely have to check that out. Um, okay. So with your experience and your background, um, and then we'll stay on the Facebook you know, chain here just because I know you guys have got 
personally and as a business, a lot of experience on this. Um, and you're building out these particular campaigns and you're launching these particular campaigns. Do you have um, like metrics that you set up? Are, are you, do you guys start every campaign off at like a $50 a day budget? Is there any consistency uh, that you guys have when setting up and launching campaigns that you do every single time, regardless of the client, regardless of the vertical, regardless of the offer? I think I think it varies by the media buyers on our team. Um, each media buyer has their own sort of skill sets and how they structure the campaigns, um, how they sort of develop them out, which targeting they're using, and then how they kind of scale them. The one thing that we standardize um, with any sort of campaign creation, regardless of whether it's on Facebook or Google or native, is a standardized naming structure and convention, right? So we basically input all of the usable data on the platform into that naming convention. So things like the targeting that we're using, you know, if there's any sort of device targeting that we're implementing, um, you know, what sort of um, creatives we're using, um, what sort of ad sets we're using. Um, and we pull all that information into our business intelligence stack to be able to filter into those different dimensions and elements. Um, no, that's that's really what allow, allows us to do it at scale. So that's the one thing that I would say that we standardize. Um, but in terms of actually setting up uh, the campaign and running it, it's a function of the media buyer and how they prefer to do it. Got it. Okay, so what's on fire right now? Uh, you can pick any channel you want. You can pick any digital medium that you choose. But what do you see that's absolutely lights out that's working um, in what you guys are doing as a company that everybody here can start to do or take away. Uh, it could be a, a type of ad unit. It could be a video ads. It could be anything you want. But what do you see that's absolutely on fire? Yeah, so I, I think I can speak from you know an agency perspective in terms of how we're growing our agency business, right? Which I think could be useful for other agencies or even you know companies that have B two B customer targets. And then I'll also speak from the lens of. Uh, a direct-to-consumer brand and how they can expand their customer base. Um, so starting with the second one first, um, we're seeing that YouTube as a paid acquisition channel is really inefficient. And so what I mean by that is there, I think that it is very underpriced um, and there's a lot of opportunity for arbitrage on the platform, kind of similar to what we saw on Facebook three to four years ago. And so it's relatively untapped at the moment and I think that there's a large opportunity for marketers to exploit on the YouTube platform specifically. And we're finding a lot of success in being able to scale uh, many of our clients on that platform. Love it. Um, and I think from an agency perspective, um, you know, LinkedIn as a platform has really been good for us to distribute our thought leadership to support our brand. Um, we're finding that it creates a really strong web of influence um, where people are then reaching out to you um, and we're getting you know, inbound from that uh, and really bolstering our position in the market. So consistently you know, distributing that thought leadership is important um, and we do so also on our blog as well, um, which has you know, really allowed us to close a lot of business over the last couple of months. And so for us, um, new business acquisition and business development um, is truly exploding because of that. Uh, I love that. 
I love the fact that I'll touch base on the YouTube for a minute. I think that you're right. Um, I think that there's been such a play going back to your thing about algorithms, right. And, and what people are focusing on. And so I feel like businesses, um, and I'll we'd be more specific about this, uh, uh, social communities like Facebook and Google, uh, Google's YouTube specifically, these people and these organizations are pushing something at any given time. And so I know that like Facebook Live and Instagram Live is a big push. And anytime that they're doing that and users are using that, I feel like there's almost like a preference and the algorithm gives credit to people um, implementing those things. And those opportunities or those initiatives that these companies have produce opportunities for good, smart marketers to come in and take advantage of that disparity. In your case, there's a lot of attention that can be gathered relatively inexpensively by leveraging YouTube and that audience because of what they're doing right now and what Google's doing with YouTube. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think YouTube as a channel has, you know, historically been relegated, you know, for brand awareness by different companies. Um, and, 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 you know, there's obviously merit to that because they didn't have many strong, you know, targeting, you know, options available um, over the last couple of years. And the algorithm wasn't as strong at being able to find customers on YouTube. But that all is kind of shifting now where Google is really trying to extract performance from YouTube. And we're seeing the positive effects of that for many of our clients. Um, and the other great thing about YouTube is that the users that are watching it um, are very, very high quality. Um, you know, the LTVs that we see from YouTube in comparison to, say, a Facebook or a Snapchat or some of the other channels is much higher in many cases just because users are in video watching mode. Yeah. And so if you can create a linear customer journey from the time that they see your ad on YouTube to the time that they hit your web property, whether it's a landing page or any sort of other pre-sale engagement page, um, you'll start to see that you're getting very high quality users if you're doing your targeting right um, and if you're bidding right. So we see YouTube as a major channel to expand into for the next you know, three to five years. And I think um, it may eclipse the size of our Facebook budget um, during that time span, just because YouTube is so... Uh, encompassing of you know all the different users yeah. out there, and because you can micro target now at a level that you've never been able to do before. Wow! So it's definitely a right opportunity for marketers to explore exploit right now. Listening to you talk, um, you know, you 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 constantly go past the, the 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 standard media buyer tactics and strategies. You really are a total marketer. You have the entire customer journey mapped out in your mind as you're talking. You just said it from YouTube. How that linear, uh, you got you know linear progress from a one video to another video, and the ways that you can make that work. Um, where did you learn all of this stuff, Sean? How do how do you become a total marketer like you, where you can understand the emotional concepts that are going to drive action from people to um, the, the the analytical side uh, of of you know running several hundreds of millions of dollars worth of funds through YouTube or Facebook, you know, what have you done? Where do you go? How do you learn um, and, and get the knowledge that you've gotten? Yeah. So I think, I think it all boils down to, you know, one core sort of skill that I, I really started developing from an early age, um, probably when I was about seven to eight years old. Um, and that skill is pattern recognition, right? So 
I was always very into Rubik's Cubes and Sudoku puzzles and many other different types of puzzles as well. Just finding, you know, patterns that I could, you know, understand and finding algorithms that I could leverage to repeat a specific process to be able to solve those puzzles. And that, that has always been an interest of mine. So as I, as I got into the you know, digital marketing world, it sort of naturally lent itself to, be able, to being able to find patterns across those platforms as well. Um, hmm. And so that, that's been a major reason for why I always you know, love doing this sort of stuff. And I think for me, too, it's, it's, it's a product of you know, me wanting to you know, find new and novel solutions um, to, to, to the problems that afflict brands today. So I think I crave novelty a lot as well. And so when I figure something out, I'm on to the next one. And, you know, that's that's really what keeps my interest. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, that's a perfect segue into a, a question I ask every guest on my show. What inspires you now when it comes to marketing? Or how do you get inspired when it comes to all things marketing? I think for me, there are a couple of things that inspire me. Um the first and the biggest one is, you know, just having the ability to transform businesses through digital advertising. We're now starting to see the effect of that for many different brands and companies, um, but it wasn't widely accepted as that even five years ago, right? So having the ability to leverage dig- digital advertising, to leverage different customer journeys, to leverage, you know, really powerful creative to, to transform businesses is something that really inspires me and keeps me going. And so I love sort of mind melding on that, on that stuff on a daily basis. Um, and then I think, you know, for any, any direct to consumer brand in today's era, marketing is now the lifeblood of their organization, right? Marketing has to be front and center. You know, you can't treat, you can't treat marketing as a vendor cost. You have to treat it as an investment, right? And so Companies that are now starting to realize this and implementing, you know, those functions within their organizations are the ones that are succeeding, right? So you look at any direct-to-consumer brand that has had any sort of liquidity event or exit event over the last five years, and they have all put marketing um, at the core of their business strategy. So to me, that's exciting because I've been doing this since 2011, and it's great to see the appreciation for digital marketing that many business people are now having. So that, that, I think that's the most inspiring part of marketing for me. Yeah, I, I can absolutely relate on that. Um, that's a phenomenal response because I, I totally am right there with you. I love the ability to transform businesses through the power of digital advertising and completely echo that if you are in a direct-to-consumer business whatsoever, that that understanding and mastering marketing is is not uh, a prerequisite. It's a complete mandatory 100%. thing that has to. Yeah, it's a, it's absolutely, and that's going to be that's the future. So everybody who's listening right now, if you are looking to scale and grow your company, and you're thinking of marketing as a line item, you've already lost. Yep. Um, and, uh, you're already gonna be left behind. So, um, wow, Sean, I, I, you're one of those people, man, that I could talk to forever. Um, you're so well thought out, uh, everything that you say, and you just, you have such an interesting way of, of, of looking and approaching things when it comes to marketing. Um, it's inspiring and I look up to you and I can't thank you enough for being on our show. Um, I'm sure everybody who's listening here, um, would love to get in touch with you and maybe ask you some more questions 
or work with you guys directly, how do they get in touch with you? How can people follow you? Um, how can they work with you? Yeah, so there there are a couple of different ways that you can you can reach me. I think you know probably the best way is to just email me. Um, so my email is s h a u n sean at jump four fifty dot com. So j u m p four five zero dot com. Um, and you can also look me up on LinkedIn and shoot me a message as well. Um, so I would say those are probably the two best ways. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate all the insights that you shared. Everybody give uh, Sean an email if you got any questions and look him up on LinkedIn. And again, thank you so much for your time today, Sean. Thanks so much, Jeremy. And I, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Of course. Thanks so much. There you go. That concludes another episode of the Secrets of Marketers podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're looking for even more content, more ideas, more things that you can do today to help grow your business, then head on over to my Instagram page at Secrets of Marketers. I've got a bunch of content on there and we're giving you guys access to all the behind the scenes stuff that go into making these episodes happen, as well as even more content that you can start to apply to your business today. And if you guys like this show, then help me spread the word. Go to the podcast page on iTunes and leave me a review. It's how I can rank well and how other people can find me. So go for it. Thanks for making my dreams come true. Now go make yours come true. Thanks again.